Good morning and welcome to the third week of our series from Nehemiah. Just to recap, it's the spring of the year 444 BC. Nehemiah, cupbearer to the king of the Persian Empire, is asked when he's bringing in the king's wine, why are you looking so sad tonight? And emboldened by prayer and fasting, he says, why do I look sad? My lord, my ancestral city lies in ruins, its gates are burned. And amazingly, the king gives him permission and time off to go and sort it out, and an armed escort, and letters to the governors of all the provinces between here and Trans-Euphrates to help him with protection, and another letter uh, to the keeper of the king's forests to give him timber, because the gracious hand of God was on him. The once great kingdoms of Judah and Israel are just a memory, but Nehemiah's grief not born out of some petty nationalism. Jerusalem is in ruins. Jerusalem, God's own city. Jerusalem, where Jeremiah says all the nations will gather to worship. Jerusalem, where the psalmist says even the sparrow can find protection and swallow a place to nest her young in. Jerusalem, God's own city, is in ruins. It's a disgrace, is the word that Nehemiah uses. A disgrace, a disgrace for the city, a disgrace for the Jews, but far more so a grace, a disgrace for the name of God and his honour. And when Nehemiah gets to, uh, to the city, to the ruins of the city and sets eyes on it and he secretly explores it, his heart must have sunk. It was far, far worse than he'd heard of or expected certainly imagined. Every gate was in ruins. The walls were just piles of rubble. He couldn't even ride around them because of all the debris piled up. He thinks this is a massive, massive job. Just think of a wall, 20 foot high, 6 foot thick, that runs from one end of Lord Street to the other and out as far as the carousel and up to Skazement Road Baptist Church without power tools, without labour force, without money. His courage is needed now as much as when he approached the king for favours. And even with God on his side, there's still a lot of hard work and effort going to be needed. As pantomime villains say, if you want to eat an omelette, those eggs are not going to break themselves. And so he's honest with the people. He says, you can see we're in trouble. Don't make light of it. We're in trouble. You can see the ruins. You can see the burnt gates. You can see the rubble everywhere. You can see the disgrace that our God's name is in because of the state of his city. Will you help me rebuild the walls? Because he knows that once you have the walls, everything else will follow. Houses, guards, businesses, customs, taxes, security, investment, growth. And eventually Jerusalem restored as a city in which God's name can be proclaimed and honoured. Today's reading, if you can read all 32 verses of this long list, might look like a rather tedious long list of names and bits of wall. I was really challenged by it. And I hope that something of that comes out when I'm speaking to you today. Because firstly, I see loads of teamwork. Each person or group did what they could. For example, in verse 10, Jedidiah, son of Harumath, he makes repairs opposite his house. But three verses later, Hanun and his friends from Zenoah, they not only rebuild the valley gate, 
but also repair a thousand cubits of wall, about a third of a mile, all the way down to the Dungate and the south. But people are collaborative. They're a team. Despite the hard physical work and seemingly inequitable share of the tasks, there's no complaining, there's no criticism. Everyone did what was right for them, what they could do, without jealousy, without rivalry, without competition. You know, in life, we might think our service or our burden is less honourable or less important or more challenging than somebody else's. That's not a helpful way to start to think. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians about the church being like a body. Every part is important. Every part is vital. The brain is clearly the most important part of some people's minds. But if the stomach decides to stop working, the brain ain't got much of a future. Paul says there are different kinds of service, but to the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone doing them, it is the same God at work. No one is better than anyone else and no one's ministry is any more vital than anyone else's. Or as Hebrews 12 puts it, let each of us run the race marked out for us, not somebody else's. Teamwork, willingness. Look at the professions there. They're mostly farmers, I imagine. But there's priests, perfume makers, goldsmiths, merchants, administrators. And one man even brought his daughters down to the building site. Now, what we don't see in that list are surveyors, masons, architects, joiners, project managers. And without decrying the basic biblical principle of identifying the gifts that God's given us and using them to his best advantage, the first thing that God wants that I can see here is willingness, availability. If the people of Israel had waited for someone with the right skills to come along, the wall would never have got started. Willingness to serve goes a long way. And don't you think there's a great humility shown by the people here as well? No one felt that any job was beneath him or her and took instructions from Nehemiah. The very first person mentioned getting his hands dirty is Eliashib, the high priest, the most important man in the exilic Jewish community. He and his priests rebuilt the sheep gate, knee deep in cement and sweat. How people must have laughed when they passed. Not cruelly, but it's not a sight you see every day. Two rulers of the two half districts of Jerusalem also came. One of these was the one with the daughters who helped. They would have been like princesses. Everybody rolled up their sleeves and got involved and laboured together, rich and poor. The only people in the whole chapter who didn't help were the nobles of Tekoa. And that was because it said they wouldn't put their shoulders to the task under the supervisors. We shouldn't let false pride stop us in serving in what we do because someone's upset us or we think we're more qualified than somebody else to be doing something or we feel offended in some way or we feel we failed or we remember the times that we're embarrassed to think back on when we let God ourselves and we let God down. That's all false humility. True humility is to join in and get on with things. And also, if you are in a high profile ministry, it really encourages other people to see you doing something a bit more mundane. The high priest was digging. Steve and Simon are going to be helping cleaning the toilets in the cafe on the cafe rotor. Doesn't that inspire you to get involved in everything? Teamwork, willingness, humility, perseverance. 
Just as it's going to take some perseverance for you to read all 32 verses of this lift at home. So starting at the Sheep Gate, people persevered all the way round back to the Sheep Gate again, 32 verses later. 52 days of backbreaking labour in the heat. Farms and businesses and family life put on hold for God's purposes. Priests covered in mud, perfumiate with their soft little hands covered in blisters. Pampered princesses sunburnt like peasant girls and with bulging muscles like an Eastern European shot putter in Soviet times. But they saw it done. That quote in Hebrews about each of us running the race marked out for us says one more thing. It says we should run the race marked out for us with perseverance, without giving up. Galatians 6 says we shouldn't get weary of doing good because at the right time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. But above all, what I see in this reading on top of the teamwork and the willingness and the humility and the perseverance is joy. These people are not slaves. They're not working out of obligation, They're not working out of an order from the king or duty or guilt. They don't want payment in cash at the end of the task. No, their labour comes out of their love for God and their wanting to join in his purposes and their faithfulness to him. They were encouraged by each other's efforts. They were encouraged by seeing the highborn and the lowly all serving together. They were encouraged by the help from the king. They were encouraged by the blessings that God had given them being brought back to their attention. And they were encouraged by seeing God's hand over Nehemiah. But at the end of the day, it was their choice. It wasn't a chore. It was an act of witness and love. It was a privilege. They will tell their children and grandchildren about it. They will celebrate it for generations and, in fact, do so in, in Jewish culture and religion to this day. And they will know joy when they remember. It's not condemnation that this passage implies for those nobles from Tekoa who wouldn't join. It's pity. Pity the fools. Pity the fools who wouldn't join in when they had the chance. Pity the fools who can't share in that joy. Like Henry V before Agincourt in Shakespeare. English gentlemen now in bed will think, will think themselves cursed. They couldn't have been here. And after those 52 days of service together in collaboration, availability, humility and faithfulness, the people did indeed joyfully celebrate the completion of their walls. Watchmen were indeed appointed. Musicians were appointed and began to sing. Houses and businesses began to be built inside the protection of the wall. And Jerusalem began to grow again as a focus for God's people, as a place of shelter and as a witness to the glory of the Lord in the temple. You know, each and every one of us has been called into God's service and purposes. And we each and every one of us freely at some point committed ourselves to that. And we're not asked to build an earthly city, but we're asked to be part of building a church, a community, a kingdom, body of Jesus in which God's glory can shine out into the world from and in which all can find protection and compassion and fairness. And we need to find our part in that task and carry it through as the Israelites did. And some people will be a small part and some people will be a thousand yards of wall. And it's important to be honest. 
As Nehemiah would say, you can see our country's in deep trouble. You can see our town's in deep trouble. And you can see that God's church in this place, in this town and in our land is also in deep trouble. It's not negative to acknowledge that unless you have no hope. It's positive and being honest and saying this is where we are. But with God's help and with our perseverance and faithfulness, we can change that. In Thessalonians, we've been looking at it in ourselves. In Thessalonians, Paul says, we remember before God and our Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in Jesus. That's what Paul remembered about the Thessalonian church. And wouldn't it be good if people could look at our church and say that, could look at us as individuals and say that, and could look at the very name Christian whenever it's heard as people who they associate with labour coming from love and with endurance. Let's go to it. Let's find our little bit and make sure that we are faithful to that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for all your blessings and your hand of grace over us. Show us our part in your purposes. Discipline us to serve together willingly, humbly and faithfully and give us that joy that comes from knowing that we're serving you together as a family. Amen.